Okay, I heard some of you guys singing a song. I'm going to finish it. No, just kidding. Well, we're back. I hope that's okay. Um, People said, oh, well, you came back? And I said, yeah. (laughs) What else would I do? Not come back? That'd be kind of silly. Um, Anyways, I just want to thank our our leadership team. Well, Jason first first for filling in and uh, doing such a good job. And our leadership team and our ministry teams. Uh, you know, there's no concern uh, for me when I go away that things are going to crash and burn because we have such a good team and uh, they're willing to serve you guys and serve the Lord. And, um, and so I'm just really, I really appreciate that. Thank you for praying for us while we were gone. Um, I think Hagen and Annika are going to be here this morning. So uh, just, you know, don't, I know what you're going to want to do. You're going to just want to ah! just kind of glom around them, you know, both of them, you know. Um, so, you know, just, hey, how's it going? You know, don't, don't freak them out, okay? Just don't freak them out. Anyways, we've got some exciting stuff coming up uh, next Sunday. Uh, Josiah and Alona will be here. Josiah is going to be our new music resident. In fact, they're somewhere between Cincinnati and here. Um, so they, they texted me last night, said that they were uh, in Cincinnati. They'd made it to Cincinnati from Georgia. So uh, excited about that. We have our Connect class. Uh, where we're going to find out more about our, our church and what we're all about and why we do what we want to do. And I would just really encourage you to, to be a part of that, to sign up for that, come and hear what God's uh, got planned for our church. Um, I told Josiah and Alona they have to be there, so you might be able to get to meet them in a little more you know, intimate setting. Um, and he wasn't even, you know, he's not officially on staff yet. That starts on Tuesday, but he said, okay, I'll be there. So that's good. That's the way we like it. Um, Thursday, the 24th, we got the Pate's Welcome Party. And so we're going to, rather than have Bible study on the 24th, we're all going to get together. We'd love for you who don't normally come on Thursdays to come be a part of that. 7 o'clock, we're going to welcome them officially that way. Uh, September, we're installing our community playground over here in this area. October, we have our fall festival. We'd love for everybody to be involved in that, to serve in that, and along with our playground ribbon cutting party. We have a playground ribbon cutting party. Yeah! So excited. Big scissors. Actually, we're going to have Clark run through the ribbon. Um, so anyways, we've got that. So we're, we're really excited about uh, finishing out this year, 2023, and what God's going to continue to do in and through us. And just, just want to encourage you. We're going to talk a little bit more about it today and next week. But just want to remind and re-encourage everyone that our purpose for being here as a church is not to have this little holy huddle. It's not to be here and, and be afraid of the world and come in here and hide. Our job is to come here and worship God and to tell Him how awesome He is from the stuff that He's done in our lives during the week. Which, by the way, if you're not spending time with Him during the week, it's kind of hard to come here and worship Him for anything because nothing's going on in your life. But we come here and we worship Him and then we hear from God's Word the encouraging things that we're going to hear today about what God has done for us because He loves us and the salvation He's given us and then the fact that we need to go out and share that message with other people. That's our role. That's our responsibility. Not just mine as a pastor, but every single one of us. And so I hope you're praying for people. I hope you're inviting people to our different events, to our church, to our services. Um, and, and so, anyways, that's what Job's, or Jude, I'm going to probably say Job, 
and Jesus, and very rarely say Jude. I just cannot seem to get Jude's, hey Jude! Um, but that's what his letter is all about. It's just 25 verses. And if you read it, if you, were, if you did what Jason encouraged you to do last Sunday and read it, you'll realize that 25 verses, we could spend four weeks. We could do Bible study level stuff for four weeks. There's so much in this. But his whole point is that God's called us to salvation, that God's protecting us in that salvation, and then what he's called us to do and then we're supposed to contend for the faith. That these are the things that uh, Jude is, is talking about. We're supposed to fight hard to keep our faith. And we'll find out later. It's not just the gospel. It's not just the faith that we put into it. But the faith that we have. The, the doctrines and theology and the teaching that we have based off of the gospel. That we're supposed to keep that intact. We're supposed to keep that accurate. We're supposed to protect it. So turning your Bibles to Jude... It's page 1223, if you're using the Bible there. It's all the way towards the it's second to the last uh, book in the Bible. It's one of the last four letters written. Uh, and as you do that, I just got some background information. Some of you guys love history and love some background information. So it was written somewhere between 70 and 80 A.D. 70 and 80 A.D. Uh, so it's, again, one of the last books of the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle John wrote... 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in Revelation after this. Uh, it was written by Jude, who is the brother of James, but also being the brother of James, it makes him a half-brother of Jesus, right? Because James and, uh, is a half-brother of Jesus, so Jude is a half-brother of Jesus, even though he doesn't start his letter out that way. He starts out his letter as a bondservant of Jesus. It follows on the heels of 2nd Peter, Second Peter is all about, hey, false teachers are coming. There are people who are going to be going into the church and they're going to be teaching you wrong things about who God is, what the gospel is, how God operates. And Jude is saying, hey, they're here. <laughs> They've shown up. They've crept into the church, as he puts it. His immediate audience is probably Jewish, because again, if you've read through the book, and I would encourage you to do that this week if you haven't, he uses, as we'll find out today, a lot of Old Testament references. And I'll say this again, but I'll say this right now, that as we go through this, I am not going to dig deep into these Old Testament passages. There's just way too much, way too much depth, if you want to put it that, to get caught up into the weeds on a Sunday morning message. So if you have questions, if you're like, hey, what about it? Don't stop me in the hallway, because I want to be able to talk with people and you know, welcome new faces and all that kind of stuff. But set up a time to come talk to me during the week, or go talk to Jason or Clark Actually, just thought I talked to Jason and Clark. That way I don't have a lot to do this week. I don't, I don't appreciate that. He does quote, make some quotes and references to a book called First Enoch. And that's big. Everyone's talking about the book of Enoch. What about the book of Enoch? What about, you know, what about it? Um, <laughs> so we're not going to get into that, whether it's inspired or not inspired. We're just going to... He's doing what Paul and Peter have done, and they'll use um, quotes, secular quotes, to kind of... Uh, bolster their arguments. And so all he's doing is he's taking some truth that's found in this book where the church decided that it was not inspired because of some of the uh, fallacies in it and some of the wrong teaching in it. But there are some truths, and so he pulls those truths because the Jewish people knew this book. Um, and so he's trying to connect with his readers that way. And then the context is that there's persecution going on in the church, and we know that. We've talked about that. Um, Revelation, the seven churches that we talked about, they're talking all about that. 
But there's also this increase of false teachers because the apostles are being killed off. By this time, probably just John, the apostle John, was living. The rest have been martyred for their faith. And so with the fact that the, the, the apostles aren't there to say, hey, whoa, that's wrong teaching, now the false teachers are coming in in waves and able to try to distract and try to pull people away from, from Christ and what he has for them. So Jews' purpose then is to, to warn true believers. I'm going to be making a distinction between true believers and false Believers, And so he's going to warn true believers that false believers had crept into the church. We'll talk about that. He's going to then challenge true believers to fight for the faith. We're going to talk about that today. And then he's going to challenge true believers to keep getting the gospel to unbelievers. We're going to talk about that next week. Uh, and I've got, I think I'm going to use some, um, I, I've got some practical things that you guys can do uh, in order to help you be faithful, or all of us, be faithful in doing that. So why should we care? <laughs> why should we care what Jude wrote 2,000 years ago to some potentially Jewish believers, but certainly people who have placed their faith in Christ? Why does it matter? Because this is still happening today. There are still people coming into churches who are teaching wrong things. We have people... now. In our church, I know the people who are official teachers in our church. They have to come through me, I guess you could put it that way. And, and I am fully and 100% confident that those who are teaching are teaching God's Word and are studying God's Word. And, and I'm confident about that. We spend time talking about these things. And so I'm good that way. But we have a lot of people in our world who are, I'm going to call them religious influencers. And so you've got uh, TBN, you've got Daystar, you've got podcasts, you've got YouTube, you've got social media, Instagram, TikTok, you know, again, I'm not going to get, we know social media, we've got people who are religious, who are influencing you and trying to influence me by what they say. We also have, well, hear this. We also have people, people who are professing Christians, and, and I don't know if they are or not, I'm, I'm not, so I'm just saying professing Christians, in church who will stand in a, out in a lobby or be part of a, an adult group or um, talk with people during the week who are part of the church, and they're sharing with them unbiblical, wrong teaching based on what the Bible teaches. Christians do this all the time. I, I hear people telling me stuff all the time. It'll be a little bit, time out. That's not what the Bible teaches on that. So I'm just going to throw out some of those. All right, you ready? So you determine whether this is true, biblical, or false, unbiblical. Don't answer out loud, okay? Just don't answer out loud. All right, don't even, like just for now, just go... Don't move your hands. Don't move your. Don't move your. Don't. don't. Well, wait a second. I just got dizzy. Uh, right, so here's the first one. So don't answer. Did I? Did you? Don't answer out loud. In your own head, in your own heart. Salvation is placing your faith in Jesus, but it's also good to get baptized and do good things when you, uh, when you can, just in case. 
Is that a biblical teaching or an unbiblical teaching? Because I've heard it. Okay? So don't answer. No, go back. It's unbiblical. It's false. It's wrong. Salvation is based on faith in Jesus Christ. And the incredible, horrific, painful death he suffered on the cross when he took God's wrath, his eternal wrath, on himself for your sin and for my sin. He did it, he did it for all of us, but he did it also on a personal level. There is nothing more that can be done or should be done to gain our salvation, but believe that Jesus did that for us. Baptism, awesome. After you've placed your faith in Christ. And once you've placed your faith in Christ, we're commanded to make a public profession of that. Not get saved by baptism, but because we're baptized, or because we're saved, we get baptized. We're dead to ourselves, raise a new life in Christ. Church, yes. We should be here every single week. Cause, why? Because the Bible says that. It's for our spiritual growth. It's not for salvation, it's because of salvation. Okay, next one. God only speaks through the Holy Spirit as we read and study the Bible. Don't answer. Just think. True, biblical, untrue, unbiblical. That is true. 100% true. God doesn't speak through visions. God doesn't speak through dreams. Today, he did in, in the Bible. But that change, Hebrews tells us, that change, he speaks through his son. His son is the word. The word is the Bible. I'm not saying that that's Jesus, but he, it contains his words. And so God gives us his Holy Spirit, which those in the Old Testament didn't have indwelling them and so he gives us the Holy Spirit who indwells us and part of the Holy Spirit's responsibility is he's supposed to teach us from the Bible he doesn't give somebody a word who then gives that word to you and me you know I can come alongside him and say hey I'm a little concerned about you because of something I'm seeing but I don't, I, God has given me a word and I've had people tell me that God's given them a word for me awesome but that means you're a prophet and if you're wrong, I have to stone you. You know, and I don't, don't want to do that. You know, I just, because I'm just, you know, I'm a nice guy, and I don't want to have to, you know, do that. All right, next one. God, God wants me happy. Oh, my word. I'm, true? I almost gave it away. <laughs> or false? Don't answer it out loud. Answer it in your heart. That's false. Julie. That's false. You know what God wants for you? Something far greater than something that is circumstantial based off of what you or I want. He wants to give us what we need. He will give us what we need to accomplish His purpose. And so He's going to give us the joy of Christ so that no matter what we go through, Whatever he allows into our lives, that's painful and even hurtful at times. Whatever that might be, he uses that so we become more like Jesus Christ. 
And the more we become like Jesus Christ, the more we understand his joy in the midst of this sick world that we live in. But he's not about your happiness in that sense. Happiness is based on circumstances that benefit us, that make us feel good. All right, next one. I got it. This, there's a lot, and it's the, you guys, we're gonna probably, we'll just ask the 1030 uh, service to join us, and they'll, just, they'll get the last half of the message. Church is something I go to when I, get, uh, when I can get there. Biblical, true, unbiblical, false. That's false. That's unbiblical. Church is not something you go to when you can get there. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are part of Christ's body. You might be a hand. You might be a foot. As my brother says, he's probably one of the internal organs. You don't want to even see him. But whatever the case, you are part of Christ's body. And you're commanded by God to be here, to be here on a weekly basis so that you can encourage others, well, worship God through encouraging others, serving others, and growing spiritually through what you hear and how you serve. Okay, next one. God is not obligated to give me what I pray for, no matter how much faith I think I have. You've got to think about that one for a little bit, right? God's not obligated to give me what I pray for, no matter how much faith I think I have. That... Oh, what is that one? I mean, hang on, I got to find out. Because that's a good one. I'm getting kind of confused. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. That's biblical. He's not obligated to give you what you ask for or what I ask for. He's promised to give us everything we need for life and godliness. Godliness. Doing life his way. Accomplishing his purpose. And I think this is the last one. I can keep sinning because God has already forgiven it. I've heard this. Biblical or not, this is false. God didn't save you from sin to continue sinning. (laughs) Doesn't make sense. God saved you so that you could be free from sin and the bondage that it puts in your life, and then for you to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Let me just, if you're struggling with that, let me just ask this. If you think that this is uh, a true statement, what sin are you committing that Jesus would also do? Okay, see, he wouldn't. (laughs) He's perfect, he doesn't sin. So then our responsibility is, okay, God, give me, through the Holy Spirit and your word and the encouragement of my brothers and sisters in Christ, give me what I need to do life your way, to stop that sinning and do life your way. All right, so all of these, especially the last one, are, are happening today, but they're, they started before the first century church. But certainly in the first century church, Jude is dealing with this, the, the, the churches, Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, all these, they're all dealing with this, right? We're going through the, the seven churches of Revelation. And so Jude is writing to those people, his audience, his specific audience, and then us today, to not let this teaching or any other teaching that distort who God is, what the gospel is, how God operates, whatever it is that might uh, distort 
what God's trying to do, that we don't let that in, into our hearts, into our minds, and certainly not into our church. Now, I, want to, I wish I could spend just today, I wish this was a little bit longer series, but it's not. So I'd love to be able to spend today uh, just on verses 1 and 2. And so what I'm going to try to do with the time I have left, I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, rip through this stuff. And, and so again, don't stick with me, all right? Everybody say yes, Harold, I'm sticking with you. Okay, not everybody said it, but I, it's, that's fine. It's good enough. Hit the person next to you after falling asleep. So, um, so the first two verses are a great reminder to us who have placed our faith in Christ as to what salvation is. And if you're here this morning, you have not placed your faith in Christ. This is, a, this is great news for you. This is something God wants you to know, that, that God wants you to receive. It's also why we are to fight for the faith, is what Jude is challenging. So, first two verses. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. They need to be multiplied to them because they're, they're, they've got a big mission ahead. There's a job that they're supposed to do, and they need all that. And so, we're, the reason why we fight for the truth of our faith, the teachings, the gospel and the teachings associated with it, is because we've been called to do it by God. God's called us to do it. The word called means to be, in, to be invited. To be invited like to a dinner party. Someone invited me to lunch today. I, I, sadly, I can't because I get to spend some time with Hagen and Annika. Um, but... You know, so they invite us. So God is inviting us. But what's He inviting us to? He's inviting us to His family, His kingdom. The Bible talks about, but it's it's to be part of His family, to be a, a child of God, to have God as our Father. He's inviting us into that, and then inviting us to make Him known. It's both. It's not just one. It's both. See, when you understood. And when I understood, as I was a young kid, when we understood that, we, that our sin kept us separated from God and that if we were to die in that sin, we'd spend eternity in hell because we rejected God and we sinned against God, we broke His laws. When we understood that, that wasn't us understanding it. As much as it was God giving us understanding. No one seeks after God, is what the Bible tells us. And so when we understand, it's God calling us to Him. God saying, hey listen, you're, you're in sin, you're, you're, you're separated from me, and if you don't get that fixed, I'm the only one who can fix it, you're going to spend an eternity in hell. Not because God's mean, but because God loves. God's like, if you don't want me in your life now, you're not going to want to spend your eternity with me. And so I'm not going to push myself on you. I'm not going to steal you or somehow, um, you know, make you follow me. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you understanding. And then you can accept it or you can reject it. But listen to this. When you accepted that, you may not have known this or not, and we try, I try to be good to be able to share you all of what it means as best I can in 35, 40 minutes or in my office when we're talking, whatever. When you accepted that call into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, 
you also accepted the mission that he gave you in me. And that is to make that known, to share that gospel with people in your life who need him, who if they don't have something done to them in in their life and have their sin forgiven, that they're going to spend in eternity without God in hell. And so he, he, he calls us to that. Not just so we can go to heaven, but so that we can join him in this mission on this earth. And he calls us because it, he tells us that he loves us. And he loved us before he ever created us. So back when he created the world, 10,000 years ago, I know what evolutionists say, they're wrong. 10,000 years ago or so, we weren't there, you know. When he did it, he thought before he did that, he thought about you and me. You can read it in the Bible. And he loved us. Even though he knows or knew at the time that we would be born sinners and that we would sin against him. We would choose to reject him. He still created us. He still loves us. And he did what was necessary to have our sin forgiven. This word beloved. We're beloved in God the Father. It's that agape love. It's that biblical love. It's that God-generated love. It's, it's in the perfect and passive participle. Again, I give you more than just the Bible. I teach you English. But it's a, it's a commitment to do what another needs, no matter how much it's discomforting to us. All right? So agape love is painful to the one who's giving it. And so this uh, love for us, this God-like love, Christ-like love for us was painful because God chose to do what we needed. We needed somebody to take care of our sin because we can't take care of it on our own. And so that caused God the Son, Jesus Christ, to die that painful death on the cross 2,000 years ago. Just because it was 2,000 years ago doesn't mean it's not real, that it didn't happen. It's history. But what's cool about this is that this is a perfect passive. So the perfect has this idea that it was a past decision. So God made a decision back in eternity, in the past, to love us that impacts today and into the future for eternity because it's God. So it makes it all the way into eternity. And it's passive, meaning it's God loved us. We didn't do anything to receive it. Human love is, I'm going to do what you like and what you need because I know you're going to do something nice for me. That's human love. A lot of marriages are based on that. A lot of other relationships are based on that. God-like love is, I'm going to do what you need. You can receive it or reject it. But I'm going to do what you need, even though it's going to be painful for me. And again, you can receive it or reject it because a lot of people reject what God's given them. And then he goes on to say, that we believers are kept for Jesus Christ. There's so much in this. Um, but the word kept means to, be, to protect, to be unharmed or undisturbed, to guard one's possession. And it's a perfect tense. So it was something, ha- a decision happened in the past that has uh, um, impact today and into the future. In this case, because it's Jesus Christ, it's eternity. And so at that moment of time that we place our faith in Christ, at that moment, God took us, the Bible says, and put us in Christ, kind of closed us with Christ. And now that we're clothed in Christ, 
We are kept for him. God protects us and provides us for Jesus. For what Jesus came to do. For the mission that Jesus gave us to do. And for us to spend eternity in heaven with him. This word means so much. This little four-letter word. Because God says we are Christ's possession. He owns us. We're his servant, bond servants. And so we are kept for him. We are his possession. And so we don't serve ourselves. We serve Christ. We don't serve our selfish desires. We serve Christ's desires. It also, again, has this idea of watchful care in the sense that he's keeping us for Christ for that day that we spend in eternity when the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. So if you've never given your life to Christ, you've never made that decision to, to ask God to forgive you for your sins, and you're hearing this and it's starting to make sense, that's God opening your heart and your mind. He's calling you into that relationship. Now, for believers, there's a warning here. Because if you're hearing what I'm saying and you're hearing what I just read out of Scripture and you're like, yeah, I don't think that's for me then you are in danger of believing false teaching that will cause you to disobey God. I'm not saying you are or not. I'm just saying you're in danger of doing that because this is what we've been called to. I just read it in one verse. Part of one verse. And so as believers, we fight for the faith because God's called us to that mission. And the other reason is because there are those who are distorting the faith. There are those who are making it so that the gospel or who God is or how Jesus operates is wrong. And so then people are start believing things that are wrong. And so therefore people are going to start living what's wrong. All right, so the next ones. Oh, my word. All right, beloved, I, while I was making every effort to write uh, you about our common or shared salvation, so I just want to talk about encourage them about their salvation, I felt uh, the necessity, based on the Holy Spirit, to write you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, all that the Bible teaches, which was once for all handed down, there's no more to be added, which the false teachers keep trying to do, to the saints. All true believers are saints. I know the Catholics say they're just saints. No, every one of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we are saints in God's eyes. St. Harold. <laughs> I should walk into it. Anyways. Next. Oh, sorry. You did it already. <laughs> For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, so they've blended in with true believers. Those who were long beforehand marked out, they were written about previously, that this is, they're going to have this condemnation brought upon them. So who are these certain persons? Look how Jude, the Holy Spirit has Jude describe them. They are ungodly persons, false believers, who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. So in other words, they live as they want because they say God's forgiven them for their, for their sins. And so we can live however we want. That's what licentiousness, it's a long word, means. And because of that, deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So this teaching denies Jesus. It's not what the Bible teaches and therefore the person has placed them, their faith on a wrong Jesus. Wrong Jesus means not saved. <sighs> okay, let me get this. So they distort the faith. The faith, again, I said it's not just the gospel. In this case, context is all that the Bible teaches. 
around the gospel and all that that comes from the gospel. So everything that's connected biblically, uh, what God teaches. He said to contend earnestly. This is, this is an intense effort. Every one of us needs to be intensely working towards making sure that this is not coming into our lives, it's not coming into our families' lives, it's not coming to our church. And it's once for all handed down. There's no more than what we have here. Anything that's taught outside of this, God's Word, is wrong teaching. It's false. And so this, this idea of contend earnestly is kind of like King of the Hill. Remember when you were kids playing King of the Hill? Okay, some of you guys did. Um, Queen of the Hill, if you're a woman? I don't know. Um, so it's like that. We stand on the truth of God's Word, and so we fight off everything that comes up to try to distort what's going on. These certain people that are coming into the church, they're ungodly, which means, it, it, in the Greek, it means those not interested in God or His way of life. They've crept in. It's, they've snuck in. They're blending in. They're acting like but are not true believers. And Jesus said that this was going to happen. Jesus himself knows that this is going to happen in his church. Look what he says in Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. We've got a lot of people who are claiming to be Christians, claiming to be Christ followers, claiming to be true believers. But they haven't placed their faith in Christ. That's the first step. And we can see it by how they end up living out their life. Now, I call them false believers, not false teachers, especially as I look at our church, because I don't believe our teachers, our official teachers, are false. They're teaching Scripture. But there's other people on TV, and like I mentioned before, and there's people who will have conversations Believers, professing believers who have conversations with people and they're wrong. The advice they're giving is wrong. The life that they're demonstrating and promoting is wrong, according to what Scripture teaches. And so they promote licentiousness. How's that big word? Impress your friends and family this week with that one. It means to live without rules, to live however you want, despite what God says or how God has directed us. And so, and these people, they believe and taught that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, so therefore they could live however they wanted because their spirit was alive, but it didn't impact their flesh. They could live however they wanted. They could sin left and right. And so they rationalized their sin, and they continued to disobey God. They continued to misrepresent who God is, who Christ is. Now, in context, and oftentimes in Scripture, and even today, it's referencing the, the, sexual, the sexual area. Living outside of what God wants for us sexually. It's sex is to be in a marriage. One man, one woman. For God's design. Their culture was a lot like ours. Sex everywhere. Every area of life was controlled by that. Their, their worship of their gods was all about that. I know it sounds weird, but the, the people today who don't worship gods about that, they have their own, they are their own God. And so they're, they're worshiping that as well. Something that God's given us is supposed to be so beautiful and, and so um, intimate and giving us even kind of an understanding of the relationship within the Godhead that's supposed to happen between a husband and a wife. But today we have people saying, love is love. And then they say, well, God is love. And if God is love and love is love, then whatever love I give is good. 
But you're missing the whole point of agape love. They don't even know how to define the biblical love that he's talking about here. And so, and it's not even that, but there are professing believers who live all sorts of lifestyles that are contrary to Scripture. They have no problem living a life of lying, of, of cheating, of being angry, of abusing self or abusing others. They're just self-focused. Every decision is about them. You know, they, they kind of talk like they're Christians, but if you look at their life, everything's about them. And by doing that, those who live that lifestyle are false believers. They've denied Jesus. Why? Because Jesus doesn't teach that. That's not what Jesus taught in Scripture. That's not what Jesus wants for us. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I'm saying that's the move that we, we make. We're in that direction. You can't be a follower of Jesus Christ and not follow Jesus Christ. Maybe it's another way of saying it. It doesn't make sense. All right, so now I've got this really big section here, and I need you guys to hang in there if you can just for a few minutes, and I'll try to work through this very quickly. I'm going to read a bunch of verses. Some of you guys are going to go, oh, it's okay. Just go, uh, and then I'll bring you back, okay? And I'll summarize it for you. All right, a couple different verses. All right, first of all, now I desire to remind you, true believers, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people, talking about Israel, out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed or judged those who did not believe. So there was false believers within Israel. And angels, demons, who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. So they followed after Satan. And then Genesis 6 says these particular angels that he's talking about possessed men. They, they, these men became demon-possessed. He has kept in eternal bonds until under darkness for the judgment of the great day, which Revelation 20 talks about. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. What he, what's he talking about here? That this belief, and he wants true believers to understand this, so it's kind of an encouragement to them, and it's kind of a, also a reminder to them, that this belief is judged by God. He's been doing this since the very beginning. That when people disbelieve, then they disobey. What we think is how we live. And so those in Israel, eventually there is those who disbelieve who God was, disbelieve what God called them to do, what he was going to do, and then the promises that he gave them, and they disobeyed. Interestingly, it was usually by worshiping the gods of those around them and the gods around them, the, the worship was all about sexual immorality. And so then he destroyed them. That means to utterly destroy, but they continue to exist. Well, what's that mean? Well, it's not annihilation. It's that their bodies died and their souls went to hell. And so he judged those who disbelieved. Not everybody who came out of Egypt were truly believing who God was. They just kind of went with the crowd. They blended in. They got out of Dodge or Egypt. All right. Then he talks about these angels who we know because they did not keep their domain, they became what we call demons. They chose not to serve God, but they followed after Satan. And then they abandoned their abode. It means that they possessed men, and then those men married women, and then those couples had children, and those children were wide open to whatever Satan wanted to do in their lives. And so it caused incredible, you know, sin was on the earth. But man, this was just like, just out of control, sin. 
And so we know that God raised up Noah, who is a righteous man, and he judged the earth because of this. But these specific angels, demons, he placed them in hell right then and there for what they did. And then Sodom and Gomorrah. Once the flood was over, mankind continues to sin because we're sinners. It got bad again. And Sodom and Gomorrah had gross immorality. It was talked about out of control, sexual immorality, strange flesh. So he's either talking about homosexuality or maybe these were actually wanting to be possessed by demons. Don't get caught up in that. Understand this. They disbelieved who God was and what God wanted. And they chose to go down a path of disobedience. And it's because of their sin, not how bad it was, but because they had sinned and didn't receive God's offer of forgiveness that he then judged and wiped out those cities. This really shows how badly God views disbelief and disobedience. So these stand, as he says, as eternal examples how God responds. Yet the false believers in the church at that time, and even some today, this is how they're described. Yet despite these warnings from history, in the same way these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him, speaking of the devil, a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these men revile, they arrogantly speak about the things which they do not understand. In other words, they don't know the Bible. And the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, in other words, they're motivated by their selfish desires. By these things, these things they are destroyed. Romans 8, 6. The mindset in the flesh is death. The mindset in the spirit is life and peace. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam. Some of you guys are familiar with these. Others are maybe not. And perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast or communion meal when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. They shepherd themselves, not others. Clouds without water, carried along by winds. Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea. These guys are wonderful. Casting up their own shame like foam. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these men that Enoch, oh boy, he brings Enoch into this. In the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came. And so it's, a, it's a, an era's tense, which means it's, he's talking about the future, but it's so sure that the future is going to happen that he's acting as if it's already happened. Okay? So behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. He's talking about Jesus' return after the tribulation, which is future to us. To execute, execute judgment upon what? all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him these are grumblers finding fault following after their own lusts they speak arrogantly flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage really quickly four things and I'm just summarizing how he's described them. First of all, these false believers, people who want to live life the way they want to live, but act like they're Christians, 
They're arrogant. Because they're, they're going by... Now, it could be dreams in the sense of they think they're having dreams and visions given to them by God, and that's what their authority is, not Scripture. Or it could mean they're living in a dream world. Their, their life, that they think they can follow Jesus and still sin, that's a dream world. So whatever it is, it's, it's not good. And so then they sin in their actions. They, they don't listen to church leadership. They, they think they can order spirits around. They have that kind of power about them. And so there's this arrogance. I mean, not even Michael would do that. The archangel would do that. They're also ignorant. They don't understand the Bible. Listen, when you're listening to somebody on TV or a podcast, and you, go, and you know your Bible well enough, you go, hmm. Stop there. That, hmm, it could very well be the Holy Spirit going, that teaching's wrong. If it's wrong, turn it off. There are a lot of... There are a lot of people who love listening to teachers because, man, they just sound so good. They're so into it. Well, I can, I, I can do that. If you need me, I can hack like everybody else. You know, it's, now you're just hacking. That's what they call it, hacking. <clears throat> now I got a hack. Anyways. No, they don't know. They, don't, they haven't studied Scripture right. They haven't, maybe not even studied Scripture. I had to wake you guys up somehow. They let people down. Why? Because they're out for self. They don't care about you or me. They're, they're looking out for themselves. And in that, they're unproductive. They're undisciplined. They're erratic. They'll change their beliefs so it suits them. Follow, I mean, I'm afraid to say follow some of these guys, but you know, check the history of some of these people. Some started out really good. And they use people for their advantage. They grumble and find fault in others while promoting themselves. They, they want to gain advantage over people. So that's why we fight for the faith. Because there's people who are distorting the faith all around us. I pray not in our church. I pray that you guys who are followers of Jesus Christ, you know Scripture. And so when people bring stuff to you that you know how to respond to them the way Jesus wants you to, and you don't go, eh, well, this sounds like a good idea. This sounds kind of spiritual. So, takeaways. Here's the question. Are you a true believer, false believer, or unbeliever? Go to the, I, I don't know what that was. <laughs> I'm going to have to delete that slide. That wasn't in there. So, are you a true believer, false believer, or unbeliever? If you're a true believer, know the gospel. And when I say that, the teachings, God's word. Protect the gospel. And share the gospel. Know it and share it. Secondly, if you're a false believer or unbeliever, then answer God's invitation to be in relationship with Him. He's calling to you. Accept it. Allow Him to forgive you of your sins. Allow Him to establish a relationship with Him that where God the Holy Spirit is in your life. And so that your purpose for living changes and God wants to transform you and make you look and act and think more like Jesus. And then when you die on this earth, you get to go to heaven with Him for eternity. And it's simply admitting that you've sinned and you need God's forgiveness. It's believing that Jesus took your punishment for you. That God actually put that on Jesus. Because He's the only God-man who could do that and represent us. And then tell God that you believe that. 
Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Just have a conversation in your heart to God's heart, saying, God, please forgive me of my sins, and I'm, I believe Jesus died for me. Save me. Forgive me. Thank you for making part of the family. And then from that point forward, do what God's calling you to do to grow and to know who he is and what he wants to do in your life. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close the prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the patience of everybody in the room. We went through a lot of stuff. We seem to do that a lot. But Lord, thank you for the fact that you are uh, the ultimate teacher. Your word does not return to you without doing its work. And so my prayer, Father, is that whatever bits and pieces, sections of this message, uh, this letter that Jude wrote, that whatever it is that individuals need to hear and know and understand, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do his work and impress upon their hearts. Lord, I pray for us who are true believers that we would be faithful to what you've called us to do, that we would be strong, that we would exert energy to be who you want us to be. Lord, for those who are maybe realizing, man, I'm, I might be a false believer, or, I, or I'm definitely an unbeliever. I don't believe in Christ. That they would hear your call. That they would make that real in their life by allowing you to forgive them as they receive that. Praisings in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. Head on out and represent Christ well.